0: All right, well, we're there in Galatians chapter number 6. Do me a favor, put your finger there in Galatians 6 or a bulletin or something, and go with me to the book of Genesis just real quickly. Genesis chapter number 3 should be fairly easy to find, first book in the Bible. We're going to come back to Galatians here in a, in a minute, but I'd like you to go to Genesis chapter number 3. We've been going through a series on Sunday nights entitled Words That Will Change Your Life. And we've been basically looking at words... And kind of studying them out in the Bible, and uh, it 's it's, it's kind of been a series on character and a series on on helping us uh, become better uh, individuals, better versions of ourselves. I remember when I uh, went to boot camp and I joined the Air Force we came out of the, uh, we got out of the, the bus there, and you know as soon as you step off that bus you 've got a uh, instructors, you know, with their hats on and they're yelling in your ear. And remember, one thing they, they were yelling in our ears was uh, We're going to do for you in eight weeks what your parents could fail to do in 18 years. And that's kind of what this series has been. We're, I'm trying to do for you in eight weeks what uh, some of your parents failed to do in however many years you live with them. And, uh, and I say that joking, but I'm not. And uh, we're, we're trying to help you out with some words that are going to help you. And, and we've talked about being disciplined and diligent and consistent. And we've talked about unity and we've talked about all sorts of words that will help your life. Uh, Be better. We we only have three weeks left in this series. We have tonight, then the next couple weeks, we'll move on uh, to something else. After that, and I I I ask you to pray for me as we as I prepare for those type of things. Tonight, I want to speak to you about the word responsibility responsibility. And I want to look at this idea of responsibility in the Bible. And I don't really have an alliterated sermon tonight uh, like I normally would bring to you or an outline uh, per se. I just kind of have three lessons I want to share with you from the Bible in regards to this idea of responsibility. I guess every lesson could be its own point, but they're not really connected. They're just kind of separate lessons, but they deal with this idea of responsibility. Uh, Let me read for you the definition of the word responsibility from the Dictionary, the word responsibility means this the state or fact of having a duty to deal with something or of having control over someone, the state or fact of being accountable or to blame for something. Responsibility is the ability to be able to uh, take account of something, to take care of something, to perform your duties in an area where you are expected uh, to perform. And here's what you got to understand. In the United States of America today, we basically have developed a society that rewards irresponsibility. Today, you know, the government system that we have and the way that our country uh, is built up, you know, with, with, the, with the welfare system that we have, the food stamps and all the different things, we basically have created a government that if you're not responsible or you're not taking responsibility for your own life, the government will come in and subsidize you. And what that does is when you reward, anything you reward gets repeated, And when you reward laziness, laziness gets repeated. And please don't misunderstand me. I understand that there are people uh, with disabilities and things of that nature that need help. And I'm not speaking in regards to that. But I will say this. There are many people in our society today that allow the government to basically subsidize them, not because they need the help, but because they're simply lazy. And they don't want to take responsibility for their own lives. And they don't want to take responsibility for the things that that God has given them to do. And when it comes to this idea of responsibility, the first lesson I guess I want to show you from the Bible is this. Don't play the blame game. Today everyone wants to be a victim. Today, everybody wants to wants to say it's not my fault. It's what my mom did to me. It's not my fault. It's what my dad did to me. It's not my fault. It's what society did to me. It's not my fault. I was just born into the wrong, side, you know, the wrong side of town. And it's not my fault. It's it's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. But see, God wants you and God wants me to take responsibility for the things that come across in our lives and to not shift. The blame, and here's what you're going to understand, it's human nature to shift the blame. It is in our uh, sin nature, it's in our DNA to want to point the finger at someone else and say, and say it's not my fault, it's, it's their fault. And, and from the beginning of man, you find this in mankind. Are you there in Genesis chapter 3? You're familiar with the story. In Genesis chapter 3, you've got Adam and Eve. Remember Adam and Eve, first man and first woman? And they sin. And they sin against God and they sin against the law of God. And God comes to basically make them responsible for the actions that they've taken. Notice what happens in verse number nine, Genesis chapter 3, and verse 9. The Bible says this And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Has thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee, that thou shouldest not eat? And by the way, the Bible defines uh, sin as the transgression of the law. So when they broke God's law, God said, don't eat of this tree. And they ate of that tree. That was the first sin. Like any sin, it's the sin of disobedience. Look at verse 12. And the man said, now notice what the man says. Here's human nature. The man said, the woman... He says, the woman that thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. What's Adam doing? He's shifting the blame. He's saying, God, it wasn't my fault. It was that woman. And here's the thing. He blames his wife, and then he blames God. He says, the woman, it was her fault, and then he says, and by the way, God, the woman whom thou gavest me. See, if you would have just given me a better wife, God, if, you if I wasn't stuck with this woman, then I wouldn't have made that mistake. Here, Adam is shifting the blame. And he's saying, it's not my fault, God. It's the woman's fault. It's your fault. It's everyone's fault except my fault. Now, notice uh, uh, verse number um, 13. Before the ladies get all, you know, yeah. Get, get them. Adam's always blaming me. Notice what the woman does. Verse 13. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this of the house that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me. And I did eat. So he goes to Adam. He says, Adam, what happened? He said, it's the woman's fault. He goes to the woman. He says, hey, what happened, Eve? And she, she says, it's the serpent's fault. And it's human nature to just point the finger. It's human nature to just shift the blame. It's human nature to say, no, 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 no. you don't understand. It's not my fault. It's not me. It's just the situation I find myself in. It's the context I find myself in. It's the people I find myself in. It's somebody else's fault. It's just not mine. And it's human nature to live that way. When we talk about this idea of shifting the blame, of course, we've got to look at the example of Saul. Remember Saul? Let's look at it quickly. Go to 1 Samuel chapter number 13. You're there in Genesis. You go past the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and 1 Samuel. We saw this recently uh, in our 1 Samuel series, but it's good to see it again. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 13. Remember Saul sinned against God. And he took upon him a responsibility that was not something that God wanted him to do. He overstepped his boundaries. He did something. Nobody asked him to do it. no God didn't want him to do it. In fact, it was a sin for him to do it. But he went ahead and did it anyway and gave a sacrifice when he was not a priest. He was the king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 10, notice what the Bible says. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Because remember, Samuel was the one who was supposed to do the sacrifice, but Samuel was running late. And Saul was under a lot of pressure. The army of the Philistines was building up against him, and he did not want to go into battle without giving the sacrifice. And Samuel wasn't there to do it, so he did it himself. Now notice what the Bible says in verse 13. Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. Look at verse 11. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, here's the first Blame, the, 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 the shifting of blame. Because I saw that the people were scattered from me. He said, I, I, I saw that the army, they, they were leaving. They were going AWOL. They were going other places. He said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me. And that thou camest not within the days appointed. Saul says, you know what? You know why I did what I did? It's because the people, if they were loyal, if they would have just stuck with it, if they wouldn't have gotten AWOL, I wouldn't have been forced to do what I did. And Samuel, by the way, if you would have showed up late, if thou would have came, notice what he says in verse 11, and, and, and that thou camest not within the days of point. He says, Samuel, you told me you were going to get here on this day, and you didn't get here that day. It's the people's fault. It's your fault. And notice, here's another one, and the, that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Mi'kmaq. He says, it's the Philistines' fault. He says, it's Samuel's fault. He says, it's the people's fault. I love how Saul said, Saul, Saul's turning into one of my favorite characters, because he's so funny. Look at verse 12. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. And, and look at these words. Isn't this how you and I talk? If, you, if we were honest, we would, you would agree that this is how you and I talk. I force myself, therefore. I don't want to do it. I, I, didn't, I, I knew it was wrong, and it wasn't me. It's just the people. It wasn't me. It was just you, Samuel. It wasn't me. It's just the Philistines. He says, I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And here's the problem with Saul. It's everyone's fault except me. But that's human nature. See, human nature is to shift the blame. Human nature is to not take responsibility. Human nature is to say, no, 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 no you don't understand. It, it, it's, it's this. It's that. It, it's everything. But, but of course it's not. Of course you can't put the blame. On me, And when we talk about responsibility, the first lesson we have to kind of teach and the first lesson we have to try to apply in our lives is this. You and I need to stop playing the blame game. We need to say, I'm not playing this game. I'm not shifting the blame. I'm not blaming my husband. I'm not blaming my wife. I'm not blaming my children. I'm not blaming my parents. I'm not blaming society. I'm not blaming my, my boss. I will take responsibility for myself. Who's ever heard this phrase before? The buck stops here. That's the kind of idea that that you and I have to take. Take the responsibility uh, for ourselves. You're there in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Go to 2 Samuel chapter number 12. I know you're familiar with these verses. You've read your Bibles and you're a smart crowd. But let me show them to you again. 2 Samuel chapter 12, look at verse number 7. You have Saul who blames everyone but himself. Shifts the blame. He, he likes to play the blame game. And the blame game is fun. It's a fun game. Because it makes us feel better about ourselves. But David, who was a man after God's own heart, was a man who was willing to take responsibility for his actions. And even when he was wrong, and even when he was living in, the, in sin and in the flesh, he took responsibility for what he did. Remember David? We'll get into it in our, in our when we finish 1 Samuel. We'll more than likely go into 2 Samuel. And we'll get into the life of David when he committed adultery. Remember, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he had her husband, Uriah the Hittite, uh, killed. And Nathan the prophet comes to David and he says, 2 Samuel chapter 12, look at verse 7. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. He gave him a story about how basically just a, a, a parable identifying David, uh, you know, the sin that he performed when he took Bathsheba, and then David gets upset, and David says, that man needs to die. And then Nathan says to David, thou art the man. He said, you're, you're the sinner. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I just want you to notice quickly how David responds. Look at verse 13, 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. And David said unto Nathan... Notice, notice how David is different than Adam. Notice how David is different than Saul. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. See, see David was willing to say, it's me. I'm the problem. I'm the sin. I have sinned against the Lord. You're there in 2 Samuel. Go to the book of Psalms with me. Psalm 51. Uh, if you open up your Old Testament just right in the center, you are more than likely to the book of Psalms. Psalm 51, you're going to go past 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. While you turn there, let me read for you uh, this little uh, quotation that I, that I got. On President Truman's desk in his White House office, sat a sign that read, The buck stops here. The saying, the buck stops here, is derived from the slang expression, Pass the buck, which means passing the responsibility on someone else. the expression is said to have originated with the game of poker, in which a marker, which in frontiers' days was commonly a knife with a buckhorn handle, was used to indicate the person whose turn it was to deal. If the player did not wish to perform his duty, the deal, uh, he could pass the respons- and deal he could pass the responsibility by passing the buck as the marker came to be called to the next player. President Truman would use uh, the phrase "the buck stops here" to say that as a leader, he would not shift the blame but take responsibility. And that—that's the idea that you and I have to live our lives in this way. And we just have to say, you know what? At, at some point, I've got to take the buck. Is going to stop right here. You know, as as pastor of Verity Baptist Church, there are so many times that things happen here. People get offended. People say mean things and rude things to each other. People get mad about certain things, and, and they have nothing to do with me. I'm not even aware of it. But I often will just take responsibility and say, you know what, I'm going to take responsibility for that. I'm going to apologize for, to you for that. I'm sorry that happened. And, 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 and you say, well, why would you do that? Because as a pastor, I just kind of feel like sometimes the buck just ends right here. And see, what made David such a great man of God and what made Saul such a terrible man of God is that one was willing to take responsibility and the other was not. Notice what David says in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is the psalm that David wrote when he was basically getting right with God for the adultery that he committed. Now, we won't read the whole psalm, although it's a wonderful psalm, you ought to read it on your own, but I want you to notice what he says in verse number three. He says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me, against thee, The only have I sinned and done this evil in the sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. The first lesson that you and I can learn about this idea of taking responsibility and being responsible is this. Don't play the blame game. And you kids, you know, you ought to listen up because some of these, you know, I'm preaching to the adults tonight and some of them are rolling their eyes at me in their, in their, in their heads, you know, or in, in their hearts, you know, and, and they say, well, I, you know, pastor, you don't understand. But listen to me, you kids, listen. Start at a young age just being responsible and taking responsibility for your actions. Start at a young age, you know, when, when something goes wrong at home and mom is asking, oh, who did it? Don't, don't blame it on your sister that doesn't speak, you know. Don't blame it on your other sibling that has no clue what's going on. Just learn, even at a young age, to say, the buck stops here. I'm taking responsibility. I'm not playing the blame game. I'm not shifting the blame. I'm not looking for someone else to make the villain so that I can be the victim I'm going to not play the blame game. So the first lesson you can learn is about this idea of taking responsibility. And and by the way, let me say this, since I'm speaking to the children right now. Your age does not make you mature. You you know, the the, the funny thing about children is all they want to do, you know, is, is be big. And then when you get big, all you want to do is go back and be a little kid, Right? You know, you, 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 I tell my kids, man, enjoy the time that you have because it, it's fleeting, you know. But you, you, you got to understand this. Your age does not make you a man. Your age does not make you a woman. Your age does not make you an adult. The amount of responsibility that you're able to take, that's what makes you a man. The amount of responsibility that you are able to take upon your shoulders, that's what makes you a woman. That's what makes you an adult. You know, there there are 13-year-olds that take on a lot of maturity, take on a lot of responsibility, and are people you can count on, and then you've got 30-year-olds that are still acting like children. And you know what? Just being old doesn't make you a man, and being old doesn't make you mature. Taking responsibility for your life, that's what makes you mature. See, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And today you've got, you know, grown guys. You can grow a beard, and you can grow a mustache, and you can grow all this. But you're still a child because you haven't taken responsibility for your own life. Amen. Because you're not taking responsibility for your own actions. And it's everybody else's fault except me. And you're shifting the blame, Adam. And you're shifting the blame, Saul. But you're no David you're no David. So the first lesson is this, don't play the blame game. The second lesson is this, if you can make your way back to Galatians chapter 6, is so responsibly. The first lesson is, don't play the blame game. The second lesson is this, so responsibly. So responsibly. You say, what do you mean by so responsibly? Are you there in Galatians chapter 6? Look at verse 4. The Bible says this, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, said, but let every man prove, that word prove means to discern, to approve, to examine, to try, to test. He says, but let every man prove his own works. He says, put your work under test. The things that you accomplish, the things that you do, approve them, discern them, examine them. He says, but let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing In himself alone and not in another. See, here's what you got to understand. You can only rejoice in that which you accomplish. I cannot rejoice over the victories that my wife has. I cannot rejoice over the victories that my dad had or my mom had. I cannot rejoice over the victories that my siblings have. I can only rejoice over the victories that God allows me to do. He says, let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not... In another, notice verse 5. For every man shall bear his own burden. Here's what I want you to understand. Actions and choices have consequences. Notice verse 5. For every man shall bear his own burden. This is the, the Bible's way of saying, you have to live with the consequences of your choices. You have to live with the consequences of your actions. Look, you got, you got to understand this. You know, Maybe this sermon is just for the kids, and that's, that's good. Praise the Lord for that. But listen, kids, there are consequences to doing drugs. There are consequences to taking pills. There are consequences to drinking alcohol. There are consequences to fornication. There are consequences, and here's the bottom line. You're going to have to live with those. No one else. You must live with your own burden, the things that you've done in your, in your body. But here's what you got to understand. There are consequences for the choices that you make. There are consequences for the actions that you take. Everything produces a, a result. Now, you say, well, I, I've made a lot of mistakes, and I've already made a lot of bad choices. And look, I, I'm telling you, I've made a lot of bad choices. And I know you may have made some bad choices. And, you know, take, take to heart the words uh, of the Apostle Paul when he said, Brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended. He said, But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. See, you have to understand this. Your choices, your actions have consequences. And whatever you've done in the past, it's in the past, it's done. But why don't you take responsibility for your actions from this point on? Because notice what the Bible says in verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Verse 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. See, you can deceive your mama. And you can deceive your daddy. And you can deceive your wife. And you can deceive your husband, and you can deceive your boss, and you can deceive everyone that, you know, is holding you accountable. And everyone who's expecting something from you, you can lie to them, you can deceive them. You, but listen, be not deceived. God is not mocked. I think about, uh, just, just earlier this week, I was reading the, the, through the book of Exodus, and I think about Moses. And it's interesting how the Bible tells us when Moses killed the egyptian remember he killed the egyptian uh to try to protect one of the israelites that was being hurt by the egyptian and the bible if you read the story the bible tells you that moses looked this way and moses looked this way and then he slew the egyptian but you know moses forgot to look up because he can deceive pharaoh and he can deceive whoever but you know who he did not deceive was god be not deceived the bible says god is not mocked and then the bible gives you this principle And here's the thing about this principle of the Bible. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Here's the the idea with that principle, okay? That principle, it's a biblical principle, so don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But it's not good or bad. Now, you can apply it, and it can be good, or you can apply it, and it can be bad. Notice what he says. Look at verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. You sow to your flesh, you reap. What do you reap? Corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit, you sow to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now, I don't believe this, this is telling you that if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to get everlasting life, meaning salvation. I think what he's saying is if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap in that spiritual sense, in that everlasting life sense. Some of the rewards may be up in heaven. But here's what you got to understand. Reaping and sowing is just a law. It's a law that God gave us. It, it, it's like the law of gravity. It's not good or it's not bad. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. But it's just a law. It's just a principle. It's just a promise. God says, you sow, you will reap. God says, you will reap what you sow. So when you sow bad, you reap bad. And when you sow good, guess what? You reap good. So we ought to take responsibility For our actions, realizing that our actions have consequences. And this is what a lot of children don't understand, and a lot of young people don't understand. And they end up being 28-year-olds and 30-year-olds and 35-year-olds that don't understand that their choices have consequences. And you have to learn to take responsibility for your life. Notice what the Bible says, look at verse number 9. He says, with this in mind, he says, And let us not be weary. In well-doing. He said, Don't get tired of doing right, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So, the first lesson on responsibility is this: don't play the blame game. The second lesson on responsibility is this: sow responsibly. Realize that whatever you do today, you're going to reap from that tomorrow. Whatever you say, well, you know, my mom doesn't know that I'm into this music or my dad doesn't know that I'm into this uh, idea here or my, my, you know, my my boss doesn't know that I'm stealing from him. Hey, whatever you do, wherever you sow, you will reap. Some of you are reaping right now. Your finances are a mess because you are sowing with a financial mess. And whatever you do, there will be consequences for those actions. That's why you must take responsibility. Let me give you lesson number three. Go to Matthew, chapter number 25. Matthew, chapter number three, uh, uh, 25. Here's lesson number three. Run it like you'll give account for it. Run it like you'll give account for it. You say, What are you talking about? Before I joined the military, I used to work for Wells Fargo Bank. And when I worked, I worked for Wells Fargo in their business banking uh, department. And uh, when I worked at Wells Fargo Bank, they had a, I don't know if it was just while I was working there or or if they're still doing it now, but they would have these signs everywhere in all the buildings. I I did not work in a branch. I I worked in the business uh, banking department. It was uh, outside of a branch. And they they would have these signs everywhere, and here's what the signs read. They said, run it like you own it. And they would tell us, run it like you own it. And they would say, you work for this big bank, Wells Fargo, and there's a CEO and all this thing. And they would say, but you know what? Even though you're not the owner, you ought to run whatever department you're in. You ought to run whatever you're doing. You ought to run it like it's your own business. And they would tell us, run it like you own it. You know, what I want to say to you as Christians is, don't, I, think, I think we do too much of running it like we own it. We run our lives, we really truly do run our lives as if we're the God of, this, of our world. And what I want to say to you is don't run it like you own it, but run it like you'll give account for it. Run it like you don't own it. Run it like you are a steward who is managing it for someone who does own it. Are you there in Matthew 25? Look at verse 14. Matthew 25, look at verse 14. Notice what the Bible says. Matthew 25, verse 14, the Bible says, for the kingdom of heaven is as. Now, he says is as because he's about to give us a parable, an illustration, an illustration. We talked about a parable this morning, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here's another parable. He says, Here's how the kingdom of God works. Here's how the things of God work. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is as, notice what he says, A man. Okay, now let me give you the, the characters in the parable. The man here it pictures the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? So if you don't mind uh, writing in your Bible, taking notes in your Bible, underline that word, A man, and just right next to that word, write Jesus, because that's Jesus in the parable. Now notice what the Bible says For the kingdom of heaven is as A man. Traveling into a far country. If you don't mind underlining your Bible, underline these words, far country. And next to those words, write this word, heaven. Because Jesus is a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants. If you don't mind underlining your Bible, underline these words, own servants. Now, don't just underline the word servants. Underline the word own servants. Because these servants were owned by the man. That's traveling into a far country. Underline the words, own servant. Next to those words, you can write the word, Christians, or us, or me, or you. And notice what the Bible says. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man, Jesus, traveling into a far country, heaven, who called his own servants, us, and delivered unto them, notice these words, underline this word, his goods. Whose goods? Jesus' goods. See, here's what you gotta understand. Everything you have, Whatever smarts you have. Whatever talents you have. Whatever money you have. Whatever resources you have. Whatever time you have. Whatever ability you have. Anything you have in your life that you would say this is something that I can bring to the table. This is something that I have a value. I have the ability to do this. Or I have the ability to do that. I have a spiritual gift. God gave me ability to preach. Or God gave me the ability of evangelism. God gave me the gift to, to, to rule well and administer whatever it may be. Whatever you have a value in your life it came from God. It's not you. It's not yours. Even in the Old Testament, we're told when they were building the temple and when they were building the tabernacle, God had given certain men gifts of construction and of being able to build and plan. And the Bible tells us God gave them those gifts. Everything you have came from God. Every good gift is from the heaven, is from the, the Father of lights, is what the Bible says. So notice what he says. For the kingdom of heaven. Is as a man, that's Jesus, traveling into a far country, that's heaven, who called his own servants, that's us, and delivered unto them his goods, his resources. Notice verse, and it's not money. I mean, you can definitely put money into that, but it's anything that God has given you, any resource that you have. Notice verse 15. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one. Now I want you to notice something here. Because, you know, you and I like to say these words, well, it's not fair. He gives one five talents, he gives another two talents, he gives another one talent. But here's what you got to understand, because he, whenever you and I use these words, it's not fair, you know what we're doing? Shifting the blame. What's not my fault, it's just it's not fair. It's not my fault, I'm just a one-talent guy. If God would have given me more talents, then maybe I could accomplish more. But look, fairness is relative. Because, you know, I may be a two-talent guy, and I look at a five-talent guy, and I can say it's not fair. But is it not fair for the man, for the master, with the resources to give whatever he wants to whoever he wants? See, fairness is relative. And here's what you got to understand. I will give account for what God gave me. Maybe I'm a one-talent guy. Maybe I'm a two-talent guy. I really doubt I'm a five-talent guy, but you know what? I'm accountable for the talents that God has given me. And by the way, don't sell yourself short. Don't say, well, I'm a one-talent guy, so I might not be able to accomplish much. You do accomplish as much as you can, and then you get to heaven and let God tell you how many talents he gave you. But we've got to be responsible with what we've been given. Notice verse 15. And unto one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to another he gave one to every man according to his several ability. And you find this all throughout the Bible. Remember in the Old Testament when Moses was dividing up the work, he gave to some a thousand and to some a hundred and to some fifty. He God just gives you what you can bear. He gives them according to their several ability and straightway took his journey. That's Jesus. He ascended up to heaven. Notice verse 16. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. Verse 17. Likewise, and likewise, he that had received two, he he also gained other two. But he that had received one, and notice what he does, went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, that's where you and I are living right now. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh. Do you know that Jesus is coming back? And I know we're not preachers, so I never get up here and say, Jesus could come back today. You know, put your money in the offering. I never say that. But you know that Jesus is coming back? I mean, just because we're post-trib, pre-wrath, we still believe in the rapture. We still believe in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, notice verse 19, After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh. And notice this word, reckoneth. Now, the word reckon means to count, to compute, to calculate. And reckoneth with them. Here's what you gotta understand: There is coming a day of reckoning. There is coming a day where God is going to compute, God is going to calculate, God is going to figure out, he's going to count what you did with your talent. Now here's what I know about you, you've got a talent, at least. Some of you have five, some of you have two, some of us probably have one, but we all have something and we can do something with it. And notice this man, he puts his talent, he digs it in the earth, and the Bible says, verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful Over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Notice verse 22. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Now I want you to notice something. Jesus gives the exact same... Uh, uh, reward, and he gives the exact same words of, of, of approval to the guy with five talents as he did to the guy with the two talents. See, Jesus is no respecter of persons. you got to understand this. We're not running a race against each other. We're, it's not like I'm running this race and, I've got, you know, and I'm against Brother Stuckey and I've got to accomplish more than Brother Stuckey is so I can get, look, the only person I'm running against the race that is set before me, I'm running it against myself. It's my new man versus my old man. It's the spiritual man versus the cardinal man. I'm not running my race against you. I'm not competing with you. The man with five talents, God says, hey, well done. And then the two-talent guy shows up, and he's probably thinking, well, I got less than he. But Jesus says to him, well done. Because he did what he could with what he had. Notice verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee, that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went, and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. And if you, I won't take the time to, 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 to do it tonight, but I always think it's funny, if you, if you count up what the man with the five talents said, the amount of words, and you count what the man with the two talents said, the amount of words, they said the exact same amount of words. When you count what the man with the one talent said, he said a lot more than they did. And it's just kind of interesting. The guy that did the least talked the most. And that's usually how it is. People that talk a lot, people have big talk, and they say, look at me, and look at what I'm doing, look what I'm accomplishing. And if you actually looked at what they're accomplishing, it's not much. But notice what, notice how the parable ends, verse 26. His Lord answered and said unto him. Notice what he says. Thou wicked and slothful servant. He said, you are wicked and lazy. Thou wicked and slothful servant. Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not stride. And he goes on, he says, Thou it is therefore to have put my money to the exchangers and, them, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. And he goes on to punishment. But here's, here's what I want you to understand about this parable. Okay, The man with the one talent does not get judged for what he did. He gets judged for what he did not do. Do you understand that? It's not that he did the wrong thing. It's that he did nothing with what he had. See, he said, even if you would have just taken the talent and put it in the bank, and I would have got some interest, that would have been better than what you did with it. But all you did is you take what I gave you, the resources I gave you, and you hid them. You hid them under the dirt. You did nothing with it. And he gets judged, not for what he did, but for what he did not do. Because, see, your life and my life are not our own. And God expects us to do something with it. You ought to run your life. You know how you ought to run your life? Not like you own it, but like you'll give account for it. Because whatever resources you have, whatever time you have on this earth, you're expected to do something with it. Some of you have talents, some of you have treasure. Some of you have resources, you have abilities. Some of you, your gift is that you have time to do things, and yet we do nothing with it. You know, I want you to think about, think about the responsibilities that God has given you. It may be your work, your career. We have many moms who homeschool their children. When you have Those of you that have children, God has given you a responsibility to discipline those children, and God has given you a responsibility to disciple those children. God has given you responsibilities here at church. Many of you have taken responsibilities to help us with certain things. You ought to steward those for God and realize that you're going to give an account for it. You know, you ought to live your life in a way where you take responsibility, where you don't shift the blame, where you sow responsibly, and you live your life as if you will give an account for it because here's the secret you will you will stand before God one day at the judgment seat of Christ and there will be a day of reckoning. And here's the great thing about the judgment seat of Christ. You don't get judged for what you did. See, he doesn't bring up your sins and say, let me talk about all your sins and all the bad things you do. Hey, as far as the East is from the West, he's removed our sins from us. But you know what he judges us for? What we did not do. with the resources that he's given us. So what are you doing with the talents, the time, the treasure, the abilities, the children, the wife, the husband, the ministry that God has given you? Let me finish with this verse. Go with me to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter number 25. Proverbs chapter number 25. Three lessons about responsibility tonight. Number one, don't play the blame game. Just refuse to play the blame game. Say, in my life, the buck stops here. Even if you're a child, just decide right now, in my life, I take responsibility for my actions. The buck, it'll stop right here. I will not play the blame game. The second lesson is so responsibly, realizing that there are consequences for your actions. Every choice has a consequence, and you can reap to your flesh corruption, or you can reap to the Spirit, life everlasting. And run your life, not like you own it. But like you'll give account for it. And like you'll have to answer for it. Because you will. Are you there in Proverbs 25? Look at verse number 19. The Bible says this confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Confidence in an unfaithful man. You know what that word unfaithful means? Irresponsible. Someone you cannot count on. It is, it is difficult. It is difficult in life today, whether it's church setting, work setting, marriage, whatever it may be, it's difficult to find people you can count on, people that you can just tell them, you know, or, or that they'll say, I'm going to take on this responsibility, and you don't have to worry about it. There are some people, even in our church, and I'm not trying to offend any of you, but there are some people in our church, they tell me they're going to do something, and, and, I, and I worry, you know, is it going to actually get done? And sometimes I have to call and make sure, did this get done? There are other people, they say, Pastor, I'm going to take care of this for me. And I, and, I, and I never have to worry about it. I know it will be done. What type of person are you? Because the Bible says confidence in an unfaithful man, confidence in an irresponsible man, confidence in a man that you cannot count on in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. It just kind of bothers you, it's just kind of there. And here's the thing about a broken tooth and a foot out of joint, is that you think to yourself, if this tooth just wasn't broken, then I could use it to chew up this meat. If this foot just wasn't you know, out of joint, then I could use it to run and walk and work. And sometimes you look at people at like your job, or you look at people at like church, or you look at people that you deal with in different areas, and, and, you, and you say, if it, wasn't, if it wasn't just for this one guy. I remember when I was a kid, we used to, I used to play on a soccer team. And there was a, there was a young man, his name was Ryan. And flagrant, no, I'm just kidding, no, right, no, flagrant. No, no. And he, uh, he did not want to be on the team. And he would just sit there like this. And the ball would come his way, and he just would do nothing. And he was that unfaithful man, you know, he was that bro- broken tooth. We, I, I used to think to myself, I'd rather play without him than with him. But we needed him because he made up the count, you know, and if we didn't have him, we'd have to forfeit. And he was that unfaithful man. You know, strive in your life to not be that individual. That individual where someone says, you know, there are some people, they tell you, I'm going to do this. I just kind of think myself, okay, whatever. I'm I'm going to to proceed through life as if you're not going to do it. And if you do do it, then that'll be a pleasant surprise. Because I can't count on you. Don't be that person. Don't be that individual. Be a man and a uh, 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 a woman of your word. That when you say, I will do this, I will take this responsibility, I will take care of this, you do it. Don't shift the blame. So responsibly. Run it, run it. Like you'll give account for it. Let's buy our head to never